Hey guys, my name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life Church, and I want to welcome you to our online teachings. One of our core convictions as a church is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. Now, I know that for some of us, coming into a church building might be intimidating, it might be scary, and I get that. But I want you to know that there is always a place for you here at New Life and that you were made for real in-person community. We meet on Sundays in downtown Wayland. You can check out our website for more information on service times. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through his word. Love you guys. Even before we begin our teaching today, we're in the uh, fourth week of a series called Raising the Perfect Parent, where we're talking about what it means as a church to be godly parents and to support parents. I want to just take a few moments, uh, even this morning, to just acknowledge some of the, the chaos and the turmoil that has been around our world this past week. Uh, there's a lot of people hurting. There's a lot of people grieving. There's a lot of people who are angry. Um, and so I just want to say, first and foremost, um, your church is with you in that. If you're a, a veteran or somebody who served in Afghanistan and you're reliving a lot of the trauma of war this week because of everything going on, I just want to say we are with you. We love you. We're supporting you. I also want to call us as a church even this week to just pray for the global church, for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in Haiti. I've had an opportunity to go to Haiti to see some of the devastation of the earthquake that happened in 2010 and how challenging that was for the church there. And I can only imagine what they are walking through right now with yet another earthquake hitting them. And then obviously Afghanistan with all of the chaos and evacuations and things happening there. And so even as we begin this morning, can we just take a moment here just to pray, uh, just to bring these things that are too big for us before the Father who, to be quite honest, he's got this. He's got this in his hands. So let's go ahead and pray together. God, as we look at this last year, this last year and a half, there are so many things that have happened that we just don't have answers for, that are beyond us. And God, there's been so much frustration and hostility and, and anger and, and division in our world, God. So many people quick to, to shift blame and, and to point fingers. And God, this morning, we just come not with pointed fingers, but with open hands to just say, God, we trust you. We trust what you are doing. We trust what you are up to. God, I pray for people in Afghanistan right now who are just trying everything they can to flee chaos, trying to get to an airport, trying to get a flight out. God, we pray for um, safety for people there, both people who are part of your church and who are not, God. We pray for especially the most vulnerable in, in that um, country, God, specifically women and, and kids, God. We pray for protection over them. We pray for you to provide a way where there seems like there is no way, God. I want to pray for service members and military and, and veterans who are deeply, deeply impacted personally by what is happening right now. God, I pray that as they are wrestling through this and struggling through this, God, I pray they understand and they know that they are not alone in that. That there's a church surrounding them, that they are being lifted in prayer right now. And then, God, I also want to pray for Haiti as a country right now, God. They have just seen so much corruption and turmoil and turnover and things like that, God. And an earthquake to boot on top of all of that, God. We just pray for your presence in that place where there is so much darkness and so much evil. 
God, we pray for Christians and the church in Haiti to rise up, to be your hands and feet in that country, to serve their neighbors, to love people well. And God, if, if there are ways that we can support and love in that situation as well, God, I pray that you will reveal that to us as a church. God, we love you and we surrender ourselves to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So like I said, we are in the third week of a series on parenting. And uh, maybe you are a parent whose kids have moved out of the house or you don't have kids and you're thinking, man, I just want to check out right now. My, my encouragement and my challenge to you would be two things. Number one, I believe there is something here for you, regardless of whatever season of life you're in. But number two, as a church, we are called to walk with each other. So even if you're not in that season right now, what would it look like for us to take this calling as a church really seriously to love families, to support them, and to raise up kids who love Jesus collectively together as a church? So like many of you know, my wife and I, Sam, have been foster parents for about eight years or so. And earlier on in our foster journey, we, there was one point where we had three kids uh, from two different families. And so it felt like every single day of the week, we were driving these kids uh, to parent visits across town to go visit their biological parents. Um, three times a week, they each got visits with their parents. So that's like six times we were back and forth every single day, it felt like, bringing these kids to go visit their birth parents. And one of the things that we began noticing in these visits with birth parents, and this is pretty typical if you've been a foster parent or you've been in this world before, is that birth parents would often bring some of their kids' favorite things to these visits, right? So these kids, I mean, they would get so spoiled in these visits. They would get their favorite candy, their favorite chips. They would get, like, Takis and Hot Cheetos and Air Jordans. Uh, their parents just doted on them and spoiled them. And it's completely understandable why it would be that way, right? That's, that's understandable to any of us. But then the problem with that was when Sam and I came back in to pick them up or to parent them, we were actually the ones navigating some of the harder issues like discipline and the day-to-day -day rhythms and things like that. And so we, we ended up nicknaming these birth parents Disney parents or best friend parents, right? Because it's, it's just they got to do all the fun stuff. And as foster parents, we had to do a lot of the, the really, really challenging and hard stuff with these kids. Now, how many of us have ever been in a situation before as parents where we are tempted to be our child's best friend, where we're tempted to be almost like these Disney parents? Maybe you're in a situation where you are co-parenting and you feel like you are in a constant competition with your ex for the kids' love and affection. And so Disney parenting or best friend parenting is, is a temptation for you as you navigate this world. Maybe for you, your relationship with your kids feels tremendously fragile. If you're honest, your kids just terrify you, which is the case for me sometimes with mine. And you feel like the only way to keep that relationship intact is to become your child's best friend, to be almost like this Disney-style parent. And what I want to talk about today, and maybe you don't even feel like you, you Disney parent or your best friend parent, but what I, what I want to talk about today is this idea that is profoundly unpopular to talk about in our culture today. It's this idea called discipline. Dun, 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 right? Discipline. 
It's not a word we like to use all of the time, but I believe that there is a model we can use where we can actually care about what our kids think about us, but not be controlled by what they think about us. Those are two very, very different things. We can care about what our kids think about us, but not be controlled by what our kids think about us. And so the question I want to ask today are, are there models, are there ways that we can practice discipline as a family that doesn't actually harm our kids, but points them to the person of Jesus? Are there ways we can put discipline into practice, not just for our kids, but in our lives where we can actually point our kids towards the person of Jesus? Because here's what I know. The entire concept of discipline is kind of in a turmoil in Western society right now, to be completely honest. So you see, on one hand, maybe some of us, we grew up in a family where, where authority belonged to the person who could hit the hardest and hurt the most. And so discipline was used as a very degrading kind of thing for us. And we still navigate very real and very serious wounds from the way that our parents or maybe our siblings chose to exercise this idea of discipline on us. We have a whole generation of people, people in my age bracket, in my generation, who by and large have kind of treated discipline as a four-letter word that shouldn't be talked about or navigated because of this. And on the other hand, I think most of us, hopefully all of us would agree that kids who are never taught boundaries and limits and safety and things like that end up to grow up to be pretty not stellar people, right? We need discipline. We need boundaries. We need limits in our lives. My kids recently have been obsessed with this movie on Netflix called Yes Day. Has anybody else seen Yes Day? A couple of us. So the idea behind Yes Day is these parents are kind of losing influence over their kids. And so in order to win their kids back, they kind of create this whole idea called Yes Day, where these parents for the entire day do not say no to anything their kids ask them to do. Everything is yes. And so they, the kids ask to go through the car wash. And right as they enter the car wash, they're like, Mom and Dad, roll the windows down. So they go through the car wash with the windows down or they go to their favorite ice cream shop and eat this like trash can full of ice cream and the dad pukes everywhere and it's really gross and stuff. But my kids ever since seeing that movie have been obsessed with us doing a yes day as a family. Obsessed. To which we squarely say, no, we're not doing a yes day. But the principle remains, how can we discipline? How can we practice family discipline in a way that doesn't harm our kids, but points us to Jesus. And I would argue the best possible model we can use for how to discipline our kids, how to practice discipline in our families, is to look at how God disciplines his kids, how God disciplines us in our lives. So if you have your Bible with you this morning or your phone or a device or whatever, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verses four through six. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. This is what it says here. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. 
So there's this idea that we see happening in Hebrews. And by the way, Hebrews is a book written to a group of Jewish Christians under great persecution. And so they're navigating what does this whole idea of following Jesus look like in the midst of difficulty and setback and hardship. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is that God actually disciplines his kids. He disciplines the ones that he loves. Now what we've done in in our culture, in our society, is we've associated the word discipline with the word punishment. Right? For us, discipline and punishment are often synonymous. But in the scriptures, discipline and punishment are not necessarily the same thing. This is punishment. This is discipline. Punishment is a small component of what it means to discipline. In fact, the Greek word used in the text here is the word paideia for discipline. And it can also be translated into this idea of training or raising up. Or directing. There's almost a gym type metaphor that the author of Hebrews uses in this chapter to describe the idea of discipline that God uses on us. One author wrote this about discipline in Scripture Discipline means instruction, it means to teach, and to be disciplined is to be instructed. In meaning and in practice, it is worlds apart from simply just punishment. Whereas punishment is about paying a penalty or compensating for a wrong committed, discipline is actually about making things right. It's about getting back on track. It's about settling the matter. It's about resolving the issue. It's about fixing the problem. It's about healing a broken agreement or promise. It's about reconciling so that we can keep going. That's the idea of biblical discipline. Now, when I look at my own parenting journey, I'm acutely aware that in one way or another, I'm constantly messing up my kids. Anybody else ever feel that as a parent? Like we're doing some kind of damage or some kind of harm for, towards our kids. As a, as a sinful and imperfect earthly father, I have a tendency to, to over-discipline my kids. I also have a tendency to under-discipline my kids. And if I were to boil down the, the way that God practices discipline with his kids... I would boil it down to this single sentence, that God always connects as he corrects. He always connects as he corrects, which means that the way he practices discipline with his kids always flows out of his love. It's always designed to bring us closer, to connect closer with him, not to kind of ostracize us or push us aside or push us away. The way that God disciplines his kids is to always bring us closer. And I believe that is how we are called to practice this in our families, that as we discipline, as we train, as we instruct, that we always, always, always are called to connect as we correct to connect as we correct. You see, we can under-discipline our kids and we can over-discipline our kids. We can correct without connecting and we can connect without correcting, right? Anybody else ever find kids' behavior hilarious when they're being naughty sometimes? Just me? You all find my kids' behavior hilarious because you laugh at it all the time. But this is, this is the idea of connecting without correcting, right? I can correct without connecting, and I can connect without correcting. Yet in verse 5 of Hebrews 12 here, the author says this. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, 
In other words, don't just disregard it. Don't ignore it. Don't kind of brush it off or laugh it off. He's saying, take it really seriously. And then on the other hand, he says, well, don't, don't grow weary. Don't lose heart over the, the idea of God disciplining us either. Right? There's this place that the author of Hebrews is calling us to live in that identifies over and over again in this, in this chapter that God always connects as he corrects his children. He always connects as he corrects his children. If the only words that my kids are hearing in my life and in my parenting is words about how they are inadequate, or they're not good enough, or they're not measuring up, that is correction without connection. That is discipline without connecting. The other day, and I'm just going to be vulnerable as a parent here for a second, because why not? I'm a very imperfect parent sometimes. And the other day, my six-year-old came up to me after we had, I had disciplined them and we were talking about something, and she said, you wish we were others, we, you wish we were other kids, don't you? And as a dad, that just broke my heart. That was a wake-up call for me. That was a check for me that said, you know what, Brad, you are actually, you're correcting, but you're not connecting right now in this moment. You're correcting, but you're not connecting. But on the other side, Research shows us consistently that if kids are never taught this idea of discipline, then they grow up without a sense of safety or security. Kids that don't know boundaries struggle, and research consistently shows us they're more stressed, they're more anxious, they're more impulsive. And so God here, and he connects with us as he corrects us, always moving closer, always moving towards relationship, never away. If you keep reading in Hebrews chapter 12 here, in, uh, in verse 7 it says this, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Meaning, don't miss that statement there. What he's saying here, what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that if we are not participants, if we are not experiencing the discipline of God, the training, the instruction, the direction of God in our lives, we're not actually legitimate children of God. To be a legitimate child of God is to experience his correction and his discipline and his way and his will for our lives. Reading on here, it says this in verse 9, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. No discipline feels pleasant at the time, but for God, it's always rooted in love for his kids. If you have, uh, if you have that chart or those notes that I kind of handed out earlier that we handed out. Go ahead and take that out. And I just want to, I want to practically walk through what this looks like. This sermon's going to be really practical for us. I want to practically talk through what this looks like as we attempt to parent with this idea of godly discipline. 
So on the top left part of this chart here, you have high discipline and low worthiness. This is a parent that consistently corrects and corrects and corrects, but never actually makes any kind of effort to connect with their kids in the midst of it. This is high discipline, but, but their kids don't feel like there's a sense of worth or worthiness. Taken to the extreme, I would, I would identify this as an abusive relationship. That the parent who only practices correction, who only ever practices discipline, but no love, man, taken to the extreme, that's abusive. I would say this, this parenting style often looks explosive and inconsistent. This is punishment without explanation. This is excessive punishment out of anger, right? You're grounded for 10 years for the rest of your life. This is a tough one for some of us. This is physical spanking out of anger. Physical discipline is biblical, and it can be good, and it can be used in a healthy way, but it also can be very damaging for kids if done purely out of anger. This type of discipline can be humiliating. The goal is never to make our kids sink to the same emotional level that we're at when we're heated towards them. This is discipline without connection, without worthiness. The next one here on the left side and the bottom there is low worthiness and low discipline. This is no correction and no connection at the same time. I would describe the extreme of this type of parenting and household as a neglectful situation. It's the type of parenting where our kids constantly feel like they are in competition with us because of our phone or our smart device. And I got to tell you, my wife, like there are times where she'll, she'll call me out on that. She'll say, you know what, you're not, you're not connecting and you're not correcting with our kids right now. You need to be doing both. So are your kids constantly competing with your phone for your attention? Another one here is maybe one of your kids is hurting the other and you ignore it and you don't step in. And I got to tell you, when one kid is hurting another, for you not to step in as a parent communicates a lack of value for both of those kids involved. Low discipline and low worthiness. This is withholding affection as a form of punishment. For teenagers, withholding affection might be actually a reward, not a punishment, but for many, this is withholding affection as a form of punishment. And then the next one here in the bottom right is low discipline and high worthiness. So this is high connection, but no really correction going on. This is where we're living today. This is the best friend parent, right? Like, I love you. I worship the ground you walk on, but I'm not going to actually step in and practice any sort of discipline, any sort of training for you as a kid. What this often can look like is putting the burden on your kids to make you feel good about yourself as a parent. It's not your kid's job to make you feel good about yourself as a parent. This can also look like being so honest and vulnerable with our kids that they carry weights that are just too heavy for them to carry, that we put our junk on them. It can also look like this one, making excuses for our kids, like they'll grow out of it or kids will be kids, and a helpful question to ask here is, if I let this continue in my kids' lives, how will this manifest itself in 10 years? If I let this keep going, how, what will it look like in 10 years? How will it live itself out in 10 years? 
So I want to ask, even as we look through those first three, I, I want to hold off before we get to the fourth there for a second. I want to just ask, where is your natural drift as a parent? Because I think we all have a natural drift towards one of those. Where's your natural drift? I would say mine is mostly probably towards the, the explosive, high discipline, low worthiness style. Sometimes I lose patience with my kids and I discipline out of anger and not out of love. Where's your natural drift? I think another helpful question to ask is, what was the style of discipline and parenting used as you were growing up as a kid? What was the style used of these three for you? And here's the, here's the really tricky question. Do you find yourself drifting towards that same style or opposite of that style? Do you find yourself drifting towards the style of parenting that was used on you, towards the style of discipline that was used on you, or away from it? Because this is the last one here, and this is what the goal is. This, is. this is where we're headed, and this is our heartbeat as a church, is that we would discipline and we would raise kids from a place of high worthiness that we always connect as we discipline but also a place of high discipline that we are correcting, that we are stepping in, that we are moving in towards love, in love. This is what it says in Hebrews once again, for the Lord disciplines those that he loves. The Lord practices discipline with those that he loves. And so friends, we always, always, always ought to connect as we correct our kids connect as we correct. I think one of the best examples that we have in scripture of this being actively lived out is the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Now, Paul was not Timothy's earthly father, but he is described in 1 Timothy as a spiritual father to him. And so Paul is very active in the training and the discipline of Timothy as Timothy is training and becoming a pastor of a local church. And this is what Paul says to Timothy. He gives an incredible framework for what this looks like when we practice both high discipline and high worthiness, which is what I would call godly or Christ-like parenting, when we practice high discipline and high worthiness, this is what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy verse 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. He says, Be ready in season and out of season. Repu- reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now he's giving Timothy instructions on how to parent or pastor a church, which is also a family, but I think there's some really important principles that we can take out of this idea when it comes to our own families and the way we live. The first word that he gives Timothy is is the word reprove. Another way to say this would be the idea of gentle correction. Right? This is high discipline, high worthiness, that when I see my kid or my teenager moving towards something that is ultimately going to lead towards their destruction or be harmful, that the very first step is to gently correct, right? Go this way, not that way. It's a gentle correction. It's a redirection. It's an incredibly powerful tool that we have in our parenting tool belt. In fact, this is the same Greek word that is used for conviction that the Holy Spirit uses here, this whole idea of reproving. It's this idea that we can guide our kids, that we can guide in this idea of gentle correction. This is appropriate for maybe when your kid gets home 30 minutes after curfew for the first time. You bring it up the next day. 
or when your toddler has that gleam in their eyes that they're ready to go up, be up to no good. Maybe for you as a parent, it's saying, hey, 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 don't, don't play with these scissors. Here, play with this truck instead. Or, hey, hey, don't, don't bother daddy while he's watching TV. Play with these scissors instead. <laughs> this is gentle correction. It's moving our kids in a direction of righteousness. The next one here that, that Paul gives Timothy is this idea of rebuke, loving rebuke. And this is when our kids are, are navigating something a little bit more harmful, right? We, we know that this choice, maybe it's one they've made over and over again, and we know they're heading towards a direction that is going to ultimately be harmful for, uh, for them. We step in and we offer this idea of loving rebuke. This is, this is kind of more raised. This is a little more intense. We want our kids in these moments to feel the weight of what they're deciding. I asked a friend of mine, how does this play out with parenting teenagers and one of the things that he told me is one of the most helpful practices for doing this with teenagers is just to give them equations and let them make decisions based off those equations, right? So if you do this, where's that going to lead to this? And where's that going to lead? And it allows them to actually talk through and process through where they're headed. I'll, I'll give you an example here. We did this all the time in youth ministry. Sam had a group of high school girls. Sam had just had a baby. And this whole group of high school girls decided they also wanted to have babies. That's a fun conversation to have. And so Sam, in her loving Samness, uh, brought our crying child every single day to youth group, but also was able to navigate these conversations like, hey, if, if you do this and this and you willfully make this choice here, like, it's, where's it going to lead? And it led to all kinds of really good conversations about what this actually will look like. Loving rebuke is one of the most loving things that we can do. Proverbs 27 says it this way, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Better is open rebuke than love that is withheld or concealed. For the wounds of a friend are faithful. It's important to note that rebuking is not out of anger. It's not done in the sense of yelling across the room in anger, it's done out of love. And I believe the whole idea of rebuke is, is really is kid to kid and family to family and culture to culture. If you know, and you've raised multiple kids, you know the same style of discipline doesn't necessarily work on all three of them. And it's certainly true from family to family that doesn't work either. You know, for some of our kids, physical discipline is the most effective way, if not done in anger, to get through to them. Sam and I are foster parents, so we're actually not allowed to practice physical punishment with our kids because of our foster care license and things like that. So we've had to get really interested and creative with the way we do it. But when I was a kid, my parents would often put this into practice. They, if I was like bad, they put the spoon, the wooden spoon on the counter, and then they just like give it some space so they could cool down and not swap me out of anger, right? The secret I never told them is that the spoon caught air and hurt way less than the hand did. So, pro tip for you kids out there, just, just fake it. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. That's bad. The next one here that we don't often think of as a style of discipline, but this is one of the, the most important ones that we can put into practice with our kids, is constant encouragement. Encouragement is a form of discipline. It's a form of training. In fact, that's what Paul says here to Timothy, is he uses the word exhortation. 
that for every loving rebuke, our kids should hear 10 exhortations, 10 encouragements, 10, hey, you're going the right direction, you're going this way. That is just as much discipline as any kind of punishment or correction. Encouragement is a powerful way for us to foster the sense of worthiness in our kids, to connect with them on deep levels. Another one here, the last one, is patient instruction that Paul gives. It's this willingness to walk with our kids through whatever junk they're going to walk through. That I am beside you, that I am with you, and that I am walking in this as you walk in this. Patient instruction is the same metaphor as a gymnasium. It's exactly what the Holy Spirit does for us. It's this constant redirecting, constant, like, hey, don't do this, do this. Come back to center once again. Remember who you are. That's patient instruction. And I got to tell you, all of these, every single one of these probably takes more discipline for us as parents than it does on kids, right? Discipline is a exhausting practice as parents, Sometimes it feels like that's all we're doing. We're just constantly correcting, constantly redirecting. And I just want to tell you, if, if you're in that situation today, if you're, you're exhausted as a parent, I will say, number one, you're not alone. You're in good company. But number two, grace is your best friend in this process. That if and when you misstep, if and when you make mistakes with your kids, remember that there is a heavenly father who is still disciplining you, who is still walking with you on this journey. I think one of the most helpful things that we can do is think about this almost as an 80%, 20% rule. If we can consistently put this stuff into practice 80% of the time with our kids and then recognize that there is a 20% that may not be the best time to put some of this into practice. Maybe there's a season where your kids are just exhausted. We have school starting tomorrow, right? This is one of those weeks where our kids are going to be exhausted. And grace in our families is one of the best things that we can put into practice. Yes, we still identify problem behaviors. Yes, we still practice discipline. But we always do it in a spirit of grace and compassion with our kids. Maybe there's times where our kids are, there's, their emotions are just all over the place and they don't know how to express how they're feeling and they're lashing out. These are things to take in, into consideration as we practice discipline with our kids. So I want to end this morning with uh, just a story of me doing this. And I actually, I asked my daughter Emery if I could share this story and she gave me permission. So wherever you are, she's probably playing over there or something. Uh, I do have my daughter's permission to share this. We, uh, we, a couple weeks ago, went to a water park, and we were staying in a hotel room, and uh, we were eating lunch up in the hotel room before we were ready to go back to the water park. And uh, Emery, for some reason or another, just started throwing this massive temper tantrum, one of the biggest I've ever seen her throw. I mean, she was just angry. So like any parent, any good parent would do, what did I do? I took out my phone and started filming it. And I, I got to tell you, that did not go over well. She got even more angry. I mean, like, just so mad. And so eventually she calmed down. I put the phone away. I turned the phone off. And um, her brother and her sister got to go down to the water park with mom. And I said, Emery, I, we have one consequence for what just happened. One. She said, what is that? I said, we're going to sit down on this bed together, and we're going to rewatch this video this temper tantrum. 
We're going to watch it together. And she was so resistant. You would have thought this was the worst possible punishment that she could have had. She did not want to look face to face at her own sin alongside me. And in this moment as a dad, I'll, I'll be honest, I was still pretty frustrated by the situation. I was still a little bit raised, but I said, you know what, Emery? We are going to watch this. I'm not going to make you feel shame. I'm not going to degrade you. You know what I'm going to do right after we watch this? I'm going to delete it. And it's never to be seen again. We're never going to look at it again. As far as the east is from the west, it's gone, Emery. And that's exactly how God practices discipline with us. That if he were to film us as parents or he were to film us as as people living our lives, there are things that we would look back on and not like what we see. That's true for you. That's true for your kids. That's true for me. There are things that we would look back on and not like what we see, but the spirit of God's discipline of his kids is rooted in love in a place that says, you know what? We're going to look at your sin together. We're going to look at this in the face. And then as soon as you ask forgiveness, as soon as we navigate this, it is gone. It is deleted. It is as far as the east is from the west. This is the discipline of our Heavenly Father. This is how he walks through it with us. And if we can put the same type of practice in place with our kids, in our families, man, we will show them the heart of the Heavenly Father in ways they may not otherwise see. I love how the, the passage here ends in Hebrews 12, 11. It says this. It says, For the moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, we don't practice discipline just to modify behavior. We don't practice discipline just to create alignment or compliance. We practice discipline to capture the hearts of our kids for the person of Jesus. In fact, in Hebrews 12 here, the author is using John 15 language where Jesus says, those who abide in me will bear much fruit. That my father is in the process of pruning and pulling back things that are harmful and difficult for you to walk through. But those who abide in me, the promise is secure. They will bear fruit. This, this is why we practice discipline for our kids. That I want my daughter, I want my kids, I want you and I want your kids to be able to see the way that our sin impacts and hurts other people, the way that it that causes pain to other people. But I also want us to experience that in the midst of that, God's grace is extravagant. That it's there and it's actually what heals us and, and leads us and brings us out of sin. And so that's the heart today, that when we are consistent in connecting as we correct, God's grace can come alive in our families. That the heart of Jesus can be made known to our kids. And it's never too late to start doing this. Never too late. So will you pray with me as, as we close and then we're going to respond with one more song in worship. God, thank you that you are a perfect heavenly father that we are flawed fathers, we are flawed mothers, that in one way or another we are messing up our kids in small ways and sometimes big ways, God. 
But God, in the midst of our parenting journeys, in the midst of the mistakes that we make and the missteps that our kids have, God, may we, may we experience more of how you choose to discipline us. That God, when we misstep, you're right there beside us. Your Holy Spirit is right there beside us saying, no, not, not that way, this way. I got you, my kid. That when we are rebellious, that when we run away, that you actually and actively pursue us, God, to bring us back home. God, may we have that same heart for our kids and in our families. May we allow you to parent us, to discipline us, to train us, to educate us so that we can do the same thing for kids who so desperately need you in our families. And so, Jesus, we love you. And we worship you and we honor you this morning. We gather for no other reason but to lift your name high and worship you. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. And everybody said, amen.